I, um, I'm going to do something a little different tonight. Um, and before I do it, before I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of set it up a little bit. Um, the Lord impressed upon me um, many years ago that each of our services, and, and we started off with three services a week. When uh, Beth and I started the church and there was nobody here, we had three services a week. So I know what it is to preach to empty chairs. Sometimes I look out over these sections like this just for nostalgia's sake. But um, the Lord really impressed upon me to have uh, specific purposes for each of our services. And uh, we've tweaked and changed some things over the years and, and uh, um, tried to, uh, well, do what we could to, to make the best use of what he told me to do in having a specific purpose. And so for that reason, all of our individual services, our weekly services, have different purposes. Our Sunday morning service is kind of a catch-all thing. It's where you're going to have your biggest crowd. It's uh, where some people are coming to, you know, do their duty. Um, Got to go to church, stay in good with God, you know, kind of thing. And and we may have a smaller percentage of that than uh, than most congregations. I would expect that we would because of the way that we minister and, and the responsibility that we place on the Word of God. However... It's kind of a catch-all thing. It's uh, it's kind of a service where where I have to be open to, to whatever the Lord wants me to do in whichever direction He wants me to go because you've got such a wide variety of people uh, attending for different reasons. Wednesday night is more of a Bible study. We uh, uh, it's the only service where I'll go through any of the books of the Bible verse by verse, and and I don't always do that. That's not my most comfortable or um, uh, familiar way to to minister or teach. But uh, but we will do that on occasion, and, and Wednesday night is primarily identified or, or purposed uh, to be a Bible study. It's, uh, um, it, well, without, uh, I, I hope I don't leave the wrong impression about this, but Wednesday night is really a Bible school. And uh, and we teach some things on Wednesday night that uh, that we might not other teach at other times for that reason, because it has a special purpose. Sunday night has a different purpose. Um, it's uh, it's certainly a healing uh, healing service anytime that we come together the purpose is always uh, healing physical healing but we really call it healing school for a reason at least i do there's there's a reason behind it for me and that is i'm not intending even though it normally goes that way i'm not intending to come to church and just preach or teach healing i come to a sunday night service without a plan and that's something that uh, that i've developed and felt like the lord has impressed upon me for uh, for years uh, one of the things that I got from Brother Hagen, now Brother Hagen stood in a different office than I do. He was a prophet and a teacher. I'm not a prophet. <clears throat> I don't know how you can be a prophet and be a pastor, to be honest with you. I don't think those two offices mix. I've never seen anybody that those two offices mix together. But um, one of the things I got from Brother Hagen through the laying on of hands, through through receiving, uh, well, in a variety of ways, there's several different things that, that, uh, that he did in, in ministering to me before he went home to be with the Lord. Uh, one of the things I got from Brother Hagen was that uh, uh, even as a teacher, he did not teach from notes. He uh, he had notes and sermons and things like that that he had developed over the years, and so he'd bring a little book with him, but he never referred to it, just never went to it. It was stuff that he just kind of had, you know, just because preachers are supposed to have something. And, uh, and as a result, because of the prophet's ministry that he stood in, he always ministered uh, spontaneously. I would see him, I'd talk to him sometimes in the afternoon before service, and he'd say, uh, I'd ask him, you know, what are you ministering on tonight? And he'd tell me, and then by the time the service came around, he was going a different direction. Or he might start that way, and then the Lord would take him off into another direction during the service. Well, I never really tried to, to cultivate that. That always made me nervous. But it's the way that God uses me. I don't, um, uh, I may come like on a Sunday morning service with a series in mind or something that we're planning to do, and certainly on a Wednesday night service, that's easy, especially if you're going through a, a book of the Bible verse by verse. You know what's coming next. But for, for Sunday night for healing school, I never come with a plan. It's Well, it's very, very rare that God will ever tell me ahead of time what to do. And so it's always, um, uh, well, how do I say that? You find out when I find out. And and that's um, and that's working real well. I, I, I um, t- Frankly, I like a little bit more control than that. But that's the way that God seems to, to operate with some things. Well, one of those things happened this evening. There was, uh, when I was in Bible school, uh, first went to Bible school in 1980, there was a gentleman that came the first year of Bible school. His name was Wilford Wright. Now, you've probably never heard of him. If you have, you may know of some of the books that, uh, that have been uh, published, transcribed from the things that he said. Wilford Wright was John Lake's son-in-law. 
Now, I had never, I'd heard of John Lake through uh, some of the, the things that Brother Hagen had said before I ever got to, uh, to Bible school in Tulsa. But, um, but I'd never heard of, of Wilford Wright. Brother Hagen did not know him until Wilford Wright began to correspond with him and, and, and they struck up a, a friendship and so forth. And so he came out to the school and, and, uh, and, and shared a little bit. He really didn't teach. It wasn't a seminar or anything like that. He just shared and Brother Hagen told everybody who he was. And for 95% of the crowd, nobody, that didn't mean anything to anybody because nobody really knew who John Lake was. Nobody really paid attention. It didn't, it, it didn't mean anything to them. Now, in case you don't know who John Lake is, let me, uh, let me give you a little background on him. John Lake was a man that was, uh, that was healed by the power of God in John Alexander Dowie's meetings. Now, John Alexander Dowie's, there's, some, there's a lot of good things you can find on him and there's a lot of bad things you can find on him. John Alexander Dowie discovered the healing power of God in the middle of a uh, bubonic plague epidemic in his town. And something like 40 or 50 percent of his church had already died from this plague. And so he was uh, going back and forth, running back and forth, trying to minister to people, trying to take care of people, mostly getting the families ready to bury somebody else. And, uh, and he wound up back in his study after having gone to the latest victim or whatever the case was. And he just cried out to God. He said, God, are you going to take my whole congregation? See, he's thinking God's behind this because that's what he'd been taught. So he said, God, are you going to steal my whole congregation from me or take my whole congregation from me? And he said he took his Bible and slammed it down on the desk just in anger. Well, it opened to Acts 1038. Now, I'm not one for opening the Bible and see what God's saying type stuff, you know, whatever verse pops up. But in this case, it was it was God. Because Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. He's, Alexander Dowie said in a flash, he saw it. He said, I see it. God's not the one taking my people. It's the devil behind this sickness. Jesus is the one that did good and went about healing. So he went to the next, uh, then there was a knock on the door. Somebody else has come down with this plague. He went to the next person and, and laid hands on them, spoke prayer, you know, prayed over him something. I don't know exactly how it went, but he commanded this sickness off of him and he didn't lose one other church member from that point, even though the plague continued to ravage the town. Well, that's started a healing ministry for him. John Lake, his family was ravaged by, by sickness. And after four of his brothers and four of his sisters died, then he found out about John Alexander Dowie. They went and they were miraculously healed. The family members that were still sick were miraculously healed. Well, that set out John Lake off on the healing ministry. He wound up going to the continent of Africa, South Africa, changed the whole country in about a 20-year period of time. During that time, he had uh, uh, children. His children were born in Africa, and his wife died. And so he had to come back to the States to take care of his kids. There was no way he could take care of his kids by himself in, uh, in Africa. So he came back to Spokane, Washington, and started a healing ministry in Spokane, Washington. Now, over, um, well, there were, there were documented cases, and we know this because of Lake's own testimony. There were documented cases of over 100,000 healings in John Lake's ministry in a five-year period. He references this in something I'm going to read to you. So we're talking about people that know something about healing. Now, when Brother Wright, you remember him? He came to Bible school in uh, 1980 when I first got there. Brother Hagen had him come by and just had him share in a little 30-minute, um, well, they called it share and praise. It was kind of a, a chapel service, I guess, on uh, Tuesdays and Thursday that we had it uh, during Bible school. And so he had him share, and it was just a little bit short guy, you know, white hair, glasses, you know, soft-spoken guy. Seemed like a nice guy, but didn't really make an impact on much of anybody. But I was working with Brother Hagen at the time. And since I was working with him, there was uh, an opportunity that I had to talk with him behind the scenes. And so he said this. He said, listen, he said, uh, I know you work here with Brother Hagen. I brought him a bunch of materials. Now, these materials are, have never been printed before. These are mimeographed, and they are the old crank mimeographs. You remember those? Before copiers were copiers. These were old mimeographed things. He said they're mimeographed sheets of transcribed sermons of John Lake. Well, I heard that, and my ears perked up. I thought, this could be the Holy Grail. I need to do whatever I can to get this. So... He presented them to Brother Hagen while he was uh, while he was there when that uh, chapel service was over. Great big old stack of stuff. I mean, lots and lots of pages. 
So I said to Brother Hagen, Dad, I know you don't want to carry this back to your office. You want me to take care of these for you? Well, I took them immediately to the secretary in the crusade office where I worked and said, make a copy of these and, and let me have two copies. Gave Brother Hagen the copy that he that was given to him from Brother Wright, and I had a copy of my own. I've still got those things. And one of those sheets was a letter that John Lake wrote to a guy, I'll tell you about him as we get there, that was published in the Spokane, Washington newspaper. Now, folks, you got to realize, John Lake, at the time this letter was written, John Lake had been in Spokane, Washington for five years, and everybody in that part of the world knows who he is. The newspapers declared, their headlines declared that Spokane, Washington was the healthiest city in America because of the ministry of John Lake. Now, please understand, newspapers are a lot different then than they were now. You could have the same results in newspapers that act like you don't live, you know, you don't even exist. But back then, sermons were being preached uh, or printed on front pages and stuff like that. I mean, people were interested in the things of God. There weren't so many distractions. You didn't have the Internet. You didn't have cable TV. And, and so newspapers were the medium of communication. With that in mind, I remember in 1980 when I first read this letter and I thought, wow, what a guy this must have been. I read through all those sermons. His, his ministry, at least the things that he wrote, had a tremendous, tremendous impact on me. When I was, well, what would I have been, uh, 25 years old? Over the years, I have gone back to some of those things. Many of those things have now since been published. Now you can get books with his sermons and different things like that, but there are still a few things that we'll have in the stack that, uh, that have not been published. But this is one of the things that's readily available. Now I want to read to you that what I said to you earlier is I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to read a sermon to you. Never read one before. I know pastors and preachers that write out all their sermons, so this would be common to them. I've never read something like this as far as the sermon is concerned. It's from a book that's uh, that's authored by Wilfred Wright. They say he's the author. Really, he just provided the information and somebody else published it. He's the, he's the one that had the information about uh, John Lake, who was his father-in-law. Now, this was a letter that uh, that John Lake wrote to a man by by the name of Elwood Bulgin in Spokane, Washington. Now, Mr. Bulgin, Reverend Bulgin, was a well-known, I think he was a Methodist, no, actually he was a Presbyterian minister, but in those days, Presbyterians and Methodists and other other denominations weren't so standoffish with each other, and so uh, Lake references having this uh, Reverend Bulgin having ministered in a uh, in a Methodist church. So let me just read the letter to you. It's, it's pretty long, so I'll uh, I'll try to get through it as best I can. But I want you to hear, um, why am I doing this? Um, this had such an impact on me as far as seeing a man's faith that's used of God. And I deduced at that point in time, still believe so, but I deduced at that point in time, if God's going to use you, you're going to have to have this kind of boldness and faith. I knew of Acts 4, where it says after Peter and John were uh, threatened by the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees for getting the guy healed in the, at the beautiful gate, they came back and they prayed for boldness. Well, that's always been something that stuck with me. That's always been something I recognized was a real important thing. I'll have to tell you, folks, I do not believe that the reason that we don't see more miracles and healings in the church is because people don't know. I believe it's because the people that know won't be bold. Because it's not necessary for the sick to know for somebody that's got faith in the name of Jesus to get them healed. So, that being the case, I want to read something that had an impact on me. I hope it does you. This is written in Spokane, Washington, February the 28th in 1920 to Dr. Elwood Bulgen of Spokane, Washington. From John Lake, he said, Dear Brother in Christ, It was my privilege to be present at your meeting at the St. Paul Methodist Church at Spokane last Monday night and listen to your sermon. I was deeply impressed by the masterful manner in which you marshaled your facts and the spirit in which they were presented to your great audience. Your presentation of the deity of Jesus Christ and the sharpness with which you brought the facts of the denial of the deity of Jesus by the Christian scientists were striking. The masterful handling of the whole subject commanded my admiration and I believe the admiration of a great majority of your audience. Now let me back up here and give you a little history lesson. Christian science started in the early 1900s. And it received a great, great, great audience. Now, the reason it received a great audience is because of the work of certain men like John Inger, or I'm sorry, Robert G. Ingersoll. Robert G. Ingersoll was a man that, that lived during the, um, the latter part of the 1800s. He was noted as the most 
uh, he was the co- called the most noted infidel in America. His father, John Ingersoll, was the assistant pastor for Charles G. Finney. Any of you know about him? Finney got more people saved than anybody we know of on the face of the earth today, with the possible exception of T.L. Osborne. Finney was a, trained as a lawyer, got saved, and so he would just present his case. He got His conversions were such that when you got saved under Finney's ministry, you know why you were getting saved, and you stayed saved, if you know what I mean by that term. More so than any other revivalist in, in American history. It's easy to get people to come to the altar. It's not so easy for them to have a conversion experience in their life so that they live for Christ from that point forward. Finney was the master at that. Well, John Ingersoll, Robert Ingersoll's father, was the assistant pastor for Charles Finney. He filled his pulpit when Finney left to go to England to minister for there, over there and had, had tremendous meetings, changed the whole countryside in certain, uh, certain places. At the point in time that Lake writes this, Christian science is a big, big deal. And the reason it's a big deal, because it, it appeals to the mind. Christian science says... There is no sickness if I say there is no sickness. I can imagine everything that I want to be the way I want it to be and deny everything the way that I want it to be. And Christian science says the power of the mind will cause everything to be the way that I want it to. Well, folks, that's just wrong. That says your mind is God, which the founder of Christian science really says. The founder of Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy, said this in her uh, in her big book on on uh, her beliefs and so forth. She said this. She said Jesus Christ uh, is a figment in the uh, the figment of the imagination in the mind of God. Your mind is God. Well, that tells you where the Christian science doctrine comes from. So this guy, Doctor Bulgin, was one somebody that was attacking Christian science in defense of Christianity. And that's the message or that's the the sermon that John Lake heard. Okay? Are we kind of together on that? All right. He goes further and he said, Men can speak with frankness to each other, particularly when their interests in the kingdom of Jesus Christ are identical. He's talking about himself and Dr. Bulgin. You have lived, loved, and denied yourself and suffered for the cause of the kingdom of Christ here in the earth. I too have loved and suffered for my fidelity to the vision of the redemption of Jesus Christ, which God revealed to me. For 25 years I have labored, as few men in the world have labored for so long a period, to bring before the world as far as I could the magnificent truths of the redemptive blood and life and power of the Son of God. Your methods and my methods have been different. You, in your forceful philosophical manner, have undertaken to destroy faith in Christian science through opposition, ridicule, and exposure of what you believe to be its fallacies. On the other hand, I have undertaken concerning the healing power of God and its availability for all men today to show the world that there is no need of any man to leave any stable Christian body in order to secure the benefits of salvation and healing specifically declared by Jesus Christ himself to be available for every man. See why this guy had such an impact on me? I mean, this guy is just right there with it. He doesn't make any excuses. He just says, this is how it is. He goes further. Jesus, in contrast with the ancient philosophers, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus, in contrast with the ancient philosophers and reformers of the past and present, first gave himself in consecration for all Christians forever. His baptism was the dedication and commitment of himself unto all righteousness. He undertook to reveal the righteousness of God. Note the nature of this revelation. Having def- uh, definitively committed himself his body, his soul, his spirit to God forever, immediately there descended upon him the witness to his hundredfold consecration. The Holy Ghost came from heaven as a dove and abode upon him, as it ever will upon every man who will meet Almighty God with the same utterances of real consecration to God of spirit, soul, and body. This reveals the demand of God upon the Christian's person and conscience and the answer of God from heaven to this fullness of consecration. This guy inspires me, folks. Whenever I read Lake, it's like I need to give more of myself to God. And in some cases, I have to ask myself, how can I give more to God than I have? But that's what his that's what this man's life and his ministry always draws me to. He goes further. Being thus definitely equipped... He proceeded to the wilderness for testing by Satan to see if this consecration of body and soul and spirit would endure. He overcame all the efforts of Satan to tempt him in the specific departments of his life. 
First, the body. Second, the soul. Third, the spirit. He overcame through reliance on God and his word and came forth in the power of the spirit. He announced the constructive platform of his life and ministry containing the following six planks. And he references Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me first to preach the gospel to the poor. Second, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Third, to preach deliverance to the captives. Fourth, and recovering of sight to the blind. Fifth, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And sixth, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. God's acceptable year had come. No more waiting for the year of Jubilee and all its consequent blessings. God's never-ending Jubilee was at hand in Jesus Christ. He then went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people, and so established forever the ideal of Christian ministry for the church of God. Do you see where he's coming from? I'm sorry to interrupt his letter, but I want to make sure you understand. Lake said that there are six planks to the ministry of the gospel. And they're in John, uh, they're in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Every preacher ought to be anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach recovering of sight to the blind, and to preach deliverance to the captives, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Those were the six planks he said Jesus established his ministry on, and if we're to carry on the ministry of Jesus, we should have the same six planks in our ministry. How much of that is included in healing? A lot of it. That's why healing held such a prominent place in his ministry. Then he empowered 12 men and sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 2. Profiting by their experience and advancing in faith and knowledge of the power of God, he appointed all other 70 also, Luke 10, 1. To the 70, he said, heal the sick that are therein and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. That's verse 9 of Luke 10. And they returned rejoicing and saying to Jesus that even the devils were subject to them through thy name. That's Luke 10, 17. Then came his wonderful entrance into death, his redemption on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, his interview with his disciples, his last commission in which, according to Mark, he established in the church of Christ to be born through their preaching in all the world, the very same ministry of salvation and healing that he himself during his earthly life had practiced. That ministry contained the message of Jesus to all the world and the anointing with power from on high, just as he had received it at his baptism. Indeed, he commanded them to wait in Jerusalem until you be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He declared to them that certain signs should follow, saying, These signs shall follow them that believe. Mark 16, verse 17. Everyone, every Christian soul was thus commissioned by Jesus to heal the sick and sinful from sickness and sin. Verses 17 and 18 of Mark 16. He said, in my name shall they first cast out devils. Second, they shall speak with new tongues. Third, they shall take up serpents. Fourth, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And fifth, they shall lay hands on the sick and they, the sick, shall recover. The same Holy Spirit of God which flowed through Jesus Christ, the anointing that was upon him and which flowed through his hands and into the sick was an impartation of God so real that when a woman touched the hem of his garment, she was conscious of that instant effect of the healing in her body through it. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague, Mark 5, 29. While Jesus himself was likewise conscious of that outflow, he said, somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Divine healing is that particular phase of ministry in which the modern church does not measure up to the early church. This failure has been due to a lack of knowledge of the real nature and the real process of Christian healing. The above incident reveals the secret of what the power was how the power operated, by what law it was transmitted from the disciple to the one who needed the blessing. The power was the Holy Ghost of God, both in Jesus Christ after his baptism in the Holy Ghost and in the disciples after the baptism of the Holy Ghost came upon them on the day of Pentecost. It flowed through the hands of Jesus to the sick and it permeated the garments that he wore. When the woman touched even the hem of his garment, there was sufficient of the, sufficient of the power of God there for her need. The disciples healed the sick by the same method. 
Indeed, the Apostle Paul, realizing this law, permitted the people to bring to him handkerchiefs and aprons that they might touch his body. And when they were carried to the sick, the sick were healed through the power of God in the handkerchiefs. And the demons that inhabited the persons went out of them. That's Acts 19, verse 12. Herein is shown the secret of the early church. That which explains the whole miracle working power of the apostles in the early church for 400 years. The same is evident in branches of the modern church. Herein is revealed the secret that has been lost. That secret is the conscious, tangible, living, incoming, abiding, outflowing spirit of God through the disciple of Christ who has entered into the blood-washed relationship and baptism in the Holy Ghost. This is the secret that the modern church from the days of the Reformation onward has failed to reveal. We have, however, retained a form of godliness, but have denied the power thereof. When Jesus laid his hands on people, the Holy Ghost was imparted to them in healing virtue. When the disciples and early Christians likewise laid their hands on the sick, the Holy Ghost was imparted through them to the needy one. Likewise, the Holy Ghost was imparted to preachers for the work of the ministry, including healing. Primitive church history abounds in examples of healing in the same manner. Paul specifically enjoins Timothy to to neglect not the gift or power that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands, 1 Timothy 4.14. It was an impartation of the Holy Ghost to Timothy for the work of the Christian ministry. In the whole range of church history, we have retained the form but have lost the power in a great degree. The Pope lays his hands on the head of the cardinals. The cardinal lays his hands on the head of the bishop. The bishop lays his hands on the head of the priest. The priest lays his hands on the head of the communicants when he receives them as members of the church. In the Protestant church, in all her branches, the laying on of hands in ordination for the ministry is practice. But in the early church, it was not the laying on of hands alone. But through the laying on of hands, the impartation of the definite living spirit of the living God to the individual took place. Through its power... In him, he was constituted a real priest, a real elder, a real preacher with grace, healing power, and faith, anointed of God from on high. God gave the blood of Jesus to the Christian church. God gave the power of healing to the Christian church in the Holy Ghost. And as long as they lived under the anointing of the Holy Ghost and exercised the faith of Jesus in their hearts, the healing power of God manifested and is still manifest where this condition exists. Now get this. Christian science exists because of the failure of the Christian church to truly present Jesus Christ and his power through the Spirit and minister it to the world. I can I stop there long enough to tell you there is no religion that can stand to the gospel of Jesus ministered or preached in demonstration of power? Nothing else can stand. That's what Lake is saying. Christian science just happened to be the the enemy, the, the most prominent enemy of the Christian, of Christianity of his day. He goes further and mentions Ingersoll. He said, Robert G. Ingersoll assailed the Holy Scriptures, laughed at the Christian God, destroyed the faith of men, wrecked their hopes and left them stranded and abandoned amidst the wreckage. Through this means, he brought the just condemnation of the world upon himself. The world condemns him to this hour. This is 20 years after he died. The world condemns him to this hour in that he destroyed the faith of men without supplying to their souls something to take its place as he should have done and as any man who is honorable and true must do. You recommend divine healing in one breath, talking to to Dr. Bulgin. You recommend divine healing in one breath and denied its potency in the next. You have attacked Christian science, the followers of Dowie and others, and arraigned them at the bar and condemned them without giving to men a tangible way by which the healing of God might be brought to them. Why do you not study and practice Jesus Christ's own way of healing and so make your ministry constructive? What are you going to do with the multitude of dying that the doctors cannot help? Leave them to die? The doctors have got through with them, even though in many instances they are still prescribing for them and are perfectly aware of their inability to heal them and are candid and willing to say so. Dr. Bulgin, what have you got for those medically incurable suffering people? What have you given to these? If a man were walking down the street with a poor set of crutches and a ruffian came along and kicked the crutches from under him and let him fall, every honest soul would rise in condemnation of the ruffian's act and would demand reparation. You come to the dying, kick their hope from under them, and let them fall to the ground and leave them there to die without bringing them the true healing power in the blood and spirit of Jesus. 
It is not sufficient to say I believe in divine healing. If they are sick, they must be healed. This is why this guy has an impact on me. His position is very simply this. If there's any sick in the church, we are demanded of God to heal them. This must not be construed as a defense of Christian science. It is not given with that thought nor in that spirit. It is given rather in the hope that as an influential man in the Christian church, you may see the weakness of your position and of the position of the church. And by the grace of God, call the church back again to faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for healing. For every man from every disease, as Jesus Christ intended it should be, and as the Scriptures definitely and positively teach, and to make proper scriptural provision for a definite healing ministry. In the hope of supplying this need of the church, the Protestant ministers of the the city of Los Angeles have agreed in formal resolution to begin the teaching and study and practice of healing. How has this come to pass and why? They have been whipped into it by the success of Christian science. A recent issue of a New York daily newspaper announces that pastors of New York have likewise undertaken to teach the people the power of God to heal. The Protestant Episcopal Church is endeavoring through the ministry of a layman of the Church of England from the old country, uh, Mr. Hickson, to educate their people in the truth of healing through the atonement of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by the laying on of hands and the prayer of faith. In a few days, this gentleman will appear at All Saints Cathedral in Spokane for that purpose, and the sick will be invited to be ministered to in the name of the Son of God and healed through his blood purchase. The Church of England in England and also in Africa for 10 years has been endeavoring to organize societies, not to teach their people Christian science, psychic therapeutics, or mental healing, all of which belong to the realm of the natural, but to teach healing or to teach and demonstrate the pure power of God from heaven by the Holy Ghost purchased by the blood of Jesus to heal diseases. Frank Rial, a secretary of the Presbyterian Board of Education of New York, with 63 universities and colleges under his control and supervision, is the author of a remarkable book, The Sinless Sickness, I'm sorry, The Sinless, Sickless, Deathless Life in which he recounts in a chapter entitled How the Light and Fire Fell, the marvelous story of his own conversion. He was a minister of the gospel and a graduate of Harvard. I guess you could be that in those days. He found his Lord at the hands of an Indian in Dakota. He tells of the light of God that came to his soul in sanctifying power through the ministry of a Salvation Army officer, Colonel Bringle. He relates his marvelous healing when a diseased and dying wreck through the reading of a religious tract on healing and his experience in seeing many healed of all manner of diseases by the power of God. You are a Presbyterian, my brother. You need not go out of your own church for the truth of God concerning healing. The question before the church now that the break toward healing has come, and it has come, is who is prepared to teach and demonstrate the truth of God concerning healing? Will it be a fact in the absence of knowledge of God by the ministry of the church? An absence of the anointing of the Holy Ghost in power upon the ministry of the church for healing? Will the church in her blindness and ignorance and helplessness be overwhelmed by Christian science, new thought, and the thousand and one cults which teach psychological healing? Where is that prophet of God who should come forward, teach and demonstrate the pure spiritual value and power of the Holy Ghost? Secured for men because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave his blood to get it for them. Is it not time that such men as yourself arise in the dignity of Christ and throw off the shackles of formal religion and by the grace of God enter into the Holy Ghost and rescue the church out of her present degradation, reestablishing forever divine healing on its true and scriptural basis, the atonement of Jesus Christ? Twenty-five years ago, the light concerning healing came to my soul after four brothers and four sisters had died of diseases. And when four other members of the family were in dying uh, in a dying state, abandoned by the physicians as hopeless, and after my father had spent a fortune trying to obtain human help, one man of God had the truth of God in his heart and came to the rescue. All four sick ones were healed. That was Dowie, by the way. Dowie, in his later life, uh, made an error in his doctrine. He had such success and, and, and such renown. And, and if you see pictures of the, um, the place where he ministered in uh, Zion, Illinois, they built their own town. They tried to establish their own Christian city. Zion, Illinois still exists. 
and the chapel had had wheelchairs and crutches and everything hanging from the from the walls. All the people that were that were healed and and delivered and so forth. If if somebody came in a wheelchair and was healed and delivered, they'd put it up on the wall. I mean, it was it was a grotesque thing. That was a testimony to the, the healing power of God. But late in his ministry, he began to call himself the angel of the covenant. Well, the Bible says that's Jesus. And so he got off track and he led some other people astray with him. He started off solid as a rock, but then he got away from the truth of the word. He let the success that he was enjoying in his ministry lead him astray. Lake goes on to say, I was an ardent Methodist and I loved my church. My parents were members of an old Scottish Presbyterian church. The Presbyterian church had no light on the subject of healing. The Methodist church had no light on the subject of healing. I received my light through a man who had been a minister of the congregational church. He knew God. He knew Christ the Lord. He knew the power of God to save and the power of God to heal. When I accepted this blessed truth and saw my family healed out of death, what was the attitude of my church? Just what the attitude of all the leading churches has been. When I declared this truth before our conferences, she, the church, undertook to ostracize me. And from that day to this, many of her ministry who have prayed through to God and secured the blessing and power of God upon their soul to heal the sick have been forced out of her ministry. Dr. Bulgin, it is not time to quit attacking the forms of faith, which whether, I'm sorry, let me start over. Dr. Bulgin, is it not time to quit attacking forms of faith, whether good or bad, and turn your attention and the attention of the church to the only thing that will deliver her out of present, her present wretchedness and inability to bless and to bring her back again to the Christ, the foot of the cross, to the blood of Jesus and to the Holy Ghost from on high, to the power of God and real faith, including healing, once delivered unto the saints. Through this healing ministry, the church at Spokane reports 100,000 healings by the power of God through five years of continuous daily efforts and the kindred blessing fact that the majority of those healed were also saved from sin. In other words, he got people healed and born again. The dying world is stretching out her hands for help. The church, on account of her laxness in this matter, opens the door for the existence of Christian science and all the thousand and one worn-out philosophies that follow in her train. Let the manhood of the church arise, take the place of the prophet of God, call her back to the ministry of real salvation, a blessed salvation, not alone for men after they are dead or that will give them bliss in heaven when they die, but to a salvation that gives eternal life in Christ, health for the mind and health for the body, and supplies the, likewise the power of God for the immediate need, for the need of the sick, for the need of the sinful, the wretched and the dying and the sin-cursed and the disease-smitten. Let the church return in the glory of God and the power of Christ to the original faith as clearly demonstrated in the, in the New Testament, as perpetuated forever in the church through the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, demonstrating beyond controversy that as long as the Holy Spirit is in the church, so long as the gifts of the Holy Spirit not only present but exercisable through faith. See 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. For to one is given by the Spirit, first, the word of wisdom, second, to another, the word of knowledge, Third, to another faith. Fourth, to another the gifts of healings. Fifth, to another the working of miracles. Sixth, to another prophecy. Seventh, to another discerning of spirits. Eighth, to another diverse kinds of tongues. Ninth, to uh, to another the interpretation of tongues. The unchanging order of government, spiritual endowment, and ministry of the gifts of the Spirit are further declared as follows. And God has set some in the church. First apostles secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. When the church exercises these gifts, then she may condemn Christian science, Taoism, that's the later doctrine of Taoism, or new thought. Then she may condemn every other philosophical cult. Then she may condemn Unitarianism and everything else that you preach against, though she will not need to. Jesus never did. They were just as many strange philosophies in his day as in ours. The constructive righteousness of Christ, the presence of the living Son of God to save and to heal, the revelation to the world of his divine power will stop the mouths of every ism and manifest one glorious, triumphant, all-embracing power of God through Jesus Christ, his Son and his everlasting superiority. Neither will you be compelled as you are to glorify doctors, medicine, surgery, etc., when the greatest physicians on earth have deplored their inability to deliver the world from its curse of sickness. 
then you can not only teach the theory of the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ, but demonstrate its reality and power to save both soul and body. All the abstract criticism in the world is powerless to stop the drift from the churches to Christian science, so long as Christian science heals the sick and the church does not. Men demand to be shown. When the authority of Jesus to forgive sins was challenged, he met that challenge with the healing of the palsied man, not with negotiations and criticisms. He said, which is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed and go thy way. He was too big for abstract criticism. So must the Christian and church become. That makes me want to pray. That makes me want to get on my face. It makes me want to get closer to God. It, 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 there's every, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just me. I, and, and if I've, if I've bored you, if I've, if I've wasted your time, I'm sorry. But there is a place that the church is supposed to take that we haven't taken yet. Thank God for the people that have been healed through healing school. Thank God for the, the things that God has done through our church. And, and, and teaching the power of, the, of God's word never fails. It's never the wrong thing to do. But there's an attitude that we need to take concerning healing that I don't think we have yet. Maybe it's me. I'm, I'm always open to grow. I'm, I'm endeavoring to grow every day. But there's an attitude conveyed by this letter that you can tell is coming from a man that knows. We're not, this guy's not, he's not talking theory. He's not trying to answer the theory of Dr. Bulgin's criticism of, of Christian science or anything else with theory of his own. He's talking about something that he knows. And what he knows is that when hands are laid on the sick, there is an impartation. There is something, and he focuses on this. Almost everything the lake talks about is talking about an impartation of the Holy Ghost. He didn't just lay hands on people. He didn't just touch them. Now, don't get me wrong. He didn't have instant healings on everybody that he ministered to. There are healing rooms where they got the majority of people healed. Those 100,000 people healed over a five-year period. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most of those people were healed in healing rooms. And those healing rooms, it wasn't even necessarily him. It was people that he trained. It was people that he instructed on how to minister to the sick. And when they would come, it would be the same people coming day after day after day. And they would lay hands on them and minister life to them over and over and over again. Now, when I first heard that, I thought they're operating in unbelief because I thought the prayer of faith is you pray one time and that's it. You never say anything about it after after that. But Lake learned the secret. And that secret was that whenever you lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, there is an impartation. So you can add today's impartation to the prayer that you prayed yesterday and the prayer that you prayed the day before, the impartation of the day before, and you can add to it and get spectacular and supernatural results. But the thing that is most striking, the thing that makes the most difference to me is that as far as Lake was concerned, if there was one person, if there was one person that was sick, it was his duty to get them healed. Why? Because healing is the ministry of Jesus. And to fail to heal the sick is to fail to carry out the healing ministry or the ministry that Jesus commanded the church to operate in. Bless our hearts. I think we're just as guilty. I'm talking about me. I think we're just as guilty as the church that he's writing to. Because we have this idea that bless your heart, come little lay hands on you, and God will heal you, and it'll all just be a, a happy time. Let's just pray a happy, uh, let's just sing a happy little tune as we do it. And we fail to recognize the sacredness of the power of God being imparted. That's what gets me about these things. There's so many things that get me about these these letters and these sermons of John Lake. But one of the things that gets me is the reverence that he has for the power of God. It's not a casual thing. It's an awe. It's a holy awe for the power of God to be ministered. I wonder if we fail to receive sometimes because it's too casual for us. He never tried to prove anything. He had nothing to prove. He knew that when he laid hands on the sick, 
the healing power of God would be imparted because he was laying hands in the name of Jesus. Now, you can't control what anybody else does with it. And every person has a responsibility on their own to receive. But even at that, if that person didn't receive, he still assumed the responsibility to lay hands on them and impart the power of God to them again and again and again and again and again. And he administered to people as long as they'd keep coming to healing rooms. Their choice, up to them. But that's where the majority of the healings took place. And it was legend in their city. Now, tell me what's different about then and now. I know a couple of things that are different. One is there is an overall difference in the attitude of society toward the things of God. You couldn't get a newspaper to print a sermon today if you bought the newspaper. They just wouldn't do it. So there's certainly a difference in the attitude of society. Does that stop God? I, I have no question that stops the church. But should it? Isn't that perfect territory for us to get spectacular results when everybody says they can't happen? When the world says, well, all that stuff doesn't work anymore, isn't that perfect territory for God to show that His Word never changes? It seems to me that it is. The disciples prayed in Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, grant unto your servants boldness that we may speak your Word. How's that boldness going to come? By stretching forth your hand to heal. And that signs and wonders will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thy holy child, Jesus. If you're sick and you consider yourself part of this church. I don't know how far it goes as far as the world is concerned. I don't know where my authority goes on that. I guess I'll find out as we go. But if you consider yourself a part of this church and and sickness has attacked your body, I have a responsibility to bring the healing power of God to you. It is my responsibility. For me to say otherwise would be to deny the ministry that God's given me. It is my responsibility to bring it to you. Now, I can't make you take it. I can't make you respect the impartation of the Holy Ghost, the power of God upon you. I can't force any of those things to happen, and I, I wouldn't expect that I would have to. My, my, my point is very simply this. I have a responsibility, but you have a responsibility to receive. Just like I have a responsibility to tell you that Jesus died for your sins, but I can't make you make him your Lord and Savior. That's your choice. But if you find out the truth, who would, who would not want to? But if you find out the truth of healing, who would not want to receive? So I'm not talking about some heavy, heavy responsibility. I'm just talking about good news. So here's what we want to do. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. Because the Bible tells us in James chapter 5, that if there's any sick among the church, let them call for the elders of the church, and let them, the elders, pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And it says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now how does that happen? That's impossible unless there's an impartation of the Holy Ghost that takes place when we lay hands on you. So when we anoint you with oil and lay hands on you, we will be imparting the Spirit of God to you, imparting the healing power of God to you, the same healing power of God that healed the woman with issue of blood, the same healing power of God that Jesus felt go out of him and into her, the same healing power that she felt go out of him and into her. Very same power. There's not two Holy Ghosts. There's not a different healing power of God today than there was in Jesus' ministry. We're operating by the same Holy Ghost. We've got this same instruction to minister minister to the sick that Jesus had when he ministered here on the earth. Same Holy Ghost commission. If it's different, then the Bible is a lie. And I mean this with all respect and all sincerity. If the Bible is a lie, let's quit pretending that it's true. Let's throw it away and enjoy what time we have left here on the earth. But thank God I know it's true. Amen. We won't need to be throwing anything away 
because the Bible is true. So if you're here this evening and you're sick, I don't care if I prayed for you before or not. If I have, then what we'll do is we'll lay hands on you and we'll impart the healing power of God to add to what we've done before. If I've never prayed for you before, then we'll lay hands on you to impart the healing power of God for the first time. Either way, I'm expecting a healing result. Amen. So if you're here tonight and you want us to lay hands on you and impart the power of God to you, this is not some ritual exercise. Come ahead. You don't have to wait for me. This is not some exercise we're participating in. This is the real deal. If the word is true, this is the real deal. So if you want to receive your healing tonight, come down here and line up across the front. If you can just put your toes on the front edge of that little carpet thing there. And we'll minister to you. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we minister to these people in your precious and holy name. You commissioned us to the same ministry that you undertook here on the earth. And you said, Lord, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon you because he's anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's exactly what we do now, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, I need you guys to help me out a little bit here. If you're standing behind somebody, then then go down to the side. We'll get you right up to the front when we can make room for you. Please don't stand behind anybody. Stand shoulder to shoulder, but not behind someone, please. If uh, If you need to wait, if you need to sit down on the front row until we can get to you, then that's fine. We'll be glad to do that. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Okay, we all set? Amen. 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 Father, we lay hands on these people in the name of Jesus. In obedience to your word, we anoint them with oil, which signifies that they've been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. We impart the Holy Ghost, the healing power of God to their bodies to effect a healing and a cure in them. From the top of their head to the soles of their feet. We thank you, Father, that for those that we've ministered to before, we minister life. And that life of God is added to that which we've imparted to them previously. Receive your healing in Jesus' name. There it is. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Receive your healing. In the name. There it is right there. The name of Jesus. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. Yep. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for supernatural works. Be healed now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the impartation of the Holy Ghost. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in Jesus' name. Yeah, that's it right there. Be healed in the name of Jesus.
be healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for the impartation of the Holy Ghost, the impartation of the healing power of God. In the name, there it is. Receive your healing. Be healed now in Jesus' name. Yep, that's it right there. Went right into you. Receive your healing now in Jesus' name. That's it right there. We impart the healing power of God to you in the name of Jesus. Receive your healing now. Uh -huh. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Father, we minister life to our sister. To add to that which we prayed before. We thank you, Father, that it affects a healing and a cure in her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. <laughs> in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Receive your healing. In Jesus' name. That's it right there. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the healing power of God. <laughs> Father, we impart the healing power of God, the very life of God into our brother. To add to that which we have prayed previously, we thank you, Father, for a supernatural result. We thank you that you raise him up in the name of Jesus. So be it. Hallelujah. Be healed in Jesus' name. There it is. Hallelujah. Father, we minister life to our sister to effect a healing and a cure in her. That's it right there. It's healing power of God right there. In Jesus' name. Be healed. In Jesus' name. That's it. It's the healing power of God right there. Be healed in Jesus' name. That's it. That's it right there. In the name of Jesus. Receive your healing now. In the name of Jesus. There it is. Right there. Be healed. In Jesus name. That's it. That's it. Receive that. There it is. Receive your healing. In Jesus' name. There it is. See it right there. Father, we impart the healing power of God to our sister. And the, they just soaked right into you. Just went straight into you right there. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand in the congregation, would you please? I'd like you for, to participate in this. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the impartation of the Holy Ghost. This is not church ritual. This is people receiving the power of God. Hallelujah. Father, we lay hands on these once again. In the name of Jesus, to impart the healing power of God to them. Be healed. In Jesus' name. There it is. That's it right there. Be healed. In Jesus' name. That's the healing power of God right there. Receive your healing. In the name of Jesus. There it is. Say, I receive. That's it. Went right into you when you did that. Be healed. In Jesus' name. Well, say, I receive. That's it. When you said it, it went into you. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing now. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we lay hands on our brother. We minister life.
the healing power of God, the very life of God itself, to add to that which we previously prayed and ministered. We thank you, Father, for raising him up supernaturally in Jesus' precious name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. There it is, right there. Be healed in Jesus' name. There it is. There it is right there. That's healing power of God. Father, we impart the Holy Ghost, the very healing power of God, to our sister. <laughs> Receive your healing. In Jesus' name. Be healed. In Jesus' name. There it is. That's it right there. Just take that by faith. Say, I receive. That's it. Be healed in Jesus' name. There it is. That's it. That's it. Be healed in Jesus' name. There it is. That's it. It's yours. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Say, I receive. Say, I receive. And when you said it, it started going into you. It came right back out of you. Receive your healing. There it is. Now it's going into you. In the name of Jesus. Be healed. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Right there. That's it. Be healed in the name of Jesus. That's it, right there. Be healed in the name of Jesus. There it is. There it is, right there. Receive your healing in the name. There it is, right there, in the name of Jesus. That's it. That's it. Father, we minister life to our sister in the name of Jesus. The healing power of God, the very life of God itself added to what we prayed before. In the name of Jesus. There it is. That's it. Father, we impart the healing power of God to our sister in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that from this moment forward, you shall raise her up, for she is healed by faith. There it is, right there, in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we lay hands on our brother. We minister life to him. To add the life of God to that which we prayed before. We thank you, Father, that your word is true and that there's nothing that's too hard for you. So we thank you for raising him up. We thank you that our brother is healed. Now. By faith. Because of Jesus stripes. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Father we worship you. We magnify you. Jesus we magnify you as our healer. Lord of lords and King of kings. Precious healing Savior. We thank you, Father.
that something supernatural has happened here tonight. That every person we touched, every person we laid hands on, received an impartation of the Holy Ghost to correct conditions of sickness, to change that which needs to be changed in their bodies. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't leave one of these people out. But that you are at work now, even now. That healing power of God is at work even now to raise each and every one of them up, to restore them to divine health. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Say it with me. I'm healed by faith because Jesus took my infirmities. And bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes, I am healed. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.